know, I, I was a good, strong, one pace runner who could finish strong, but I couldn't pick up as quick as some others. So, you know, I didn't see the point in me training as hard as what I did for to sit in and let somebody kick past me. So I always had the mentality, if somebody's going to beat me, then they're going to have to run really hard to beat me. That, my friend, was Liz McColgan Nictal. And this is Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope all is well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. Who can forget the World Championships in 1991 where Liz McColgan destroyed the field in Tokyo on a hot and humid night to take gold. One of the greatest 10,000 meter races of all time. An amazing year for Liz giving birth to her daughter Eilish, winning the Tokyo Marathon, taking three minutes off the world record for fastest debut and being rewarded BBC Sports Personality of the Year. This episode has it all, focus, determination, career-threatening injuries, and one of the biggest comebacks of all time. Before we start, I'd just like to give a huge shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Born to Run. The next run is on Saturday, the 14th of December, 2019. It's hard to believe that this is the fourth race already in the Run Forest Run series, but it's a great event to get you into the Christmas spirit. The race starts in the centre of the picturesque village of Rustrever, County Down, and quickly takes you onto the pass, which overlook Carningford Lock, along the Cabroni River found in the magical Fairy Glen. And into the impressive 97 acres of forest, it's literally only a training run away from me, so I'll be there in something festive. Would be great to see you there also. Restrever, 14th of December, pencil it in. Great to see you. Without further delay, I give you Liz McColgan. There's two sports events that stick out in my mind in 1991. And one is, um, Tottenham Hotspurs against Arsenal in the semi-finals. Um, Paul Gascoigne scored a free kick. Spurs went on to win the FA Cup final then. The other one then was, of course, the World Championships in Tokyo, where you got gold. For some reason that year, those two things just stick out in my mind. That's the first time that I had seen the name Liz McCogan. Obviously, it was everywhere. It was on the news. It was in the papers. How was that experience for you? Um, it, it was a, obviously a good experience. Um, I mean, I had won the Olympic silver medal uh, in 88, so it wasn't like my first championship. And then I'd won the Commonwealth Games in 86 and 90. I'd won a couple of things before that. But I think the reason that the 91 championship stood out so much was because um, I, I was the only track medal apart from the relay. Um, and probably just... You know, the, the weather and how difficult the race was, it was, you know, recorded as being like one of the toughest races ever. So I think that a lot of people sort of resonated with, you know, just how difficult it was to get the gold medal that year. Um, so, I, so I think a lot of people do remember it um, just for sort of like how extreme it was to, you know, run in the heat and humidity and, and do as well as I did. And for me, um, it was like, you know, the end of like um, two years of really hard training and focus just for one race to try and get it right. Because I felt that I'd messed up in the Olympics in 88 and I was quite determined to actually win the gold um, in Tokyo. So, you know, I took myself off and went to Florida to train in the heat and the humidity. And so just to actually put all that effort into, you know, trying to get it right on one night and when it actually does come together, um, you know, it was just like, I, I, I probably go as far to say it was probably the best race I'd ever ran. 
um, just simply because of the amount of pressure that was on me or, or I put on myself more than anything to actually win the race. Uh, it meant an awfully, awfully lot to me to actually win that race. So, um, so yeah, you know, for it all to sort of play out and, you know, come to fruition and, you know, you attain your goals, um, you know, it, it doesn't happen very often in sport. And um, so for me, it was like probably one of the, I'd probably say it was the highlight of my career, really. That's phenomenal. What what did your training consist of? Because that that must that was a that's dedication at the highest order. Well, when when I got uh, the silver medal in Seoul, um, I trained most of my time in Scotland, and um, you know, obviously too in Seoul, you're up against drug users and things like that. So you know, you you, you know, back in the sort of nineties, you know, there was other difficulties in winning races um, from you know the athletes from like you know Russia and Germany and that sort of stuff, and. Um, you know, so when I got the silver, I was really, really disheartened and, it, it, you know, and it, it sort of made me sit down and, you know, I, I still believe that I could beat these girls, but I knew that I had to run harder and I had to be mentally tougher. And I knew that um, going into uh, the next championships, um, whereas like before uh, Tokyo, going into uh, Olympics and things, I was thinking, well, I had to be in sort of like 31 minute shape. I then realised that that wasn't good enough and I had to be in 30-minute shape and how could I do that? And I knew that I couldn't really do it in Scotland. So, you know, I had to invest in how I was going to run well. And, you know, so obviously, you know, the heat and humidity, I knew it was going to be hot, I knew it was going to be humid. Um, that's why I chose not to go to altitude. And I, I just put all my eggs into one basket and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to Florida because that's where I thought it would be hottest and humid. And I was actually training in conditions that were a lot worse than Tokyo. So when I actually went to Tokyo, it was quite pleasant to actually run in it because I'd put myself, you know, I, I was I was running sessions that were ridiculous. And um, in Florida, I'd be, you know, running like um, 10 by a K with a minute recovery in 90% uh, heat with sort of 83% humidity. And, you know, I'd lose something like, you know, I'd lose about three, four kg just in sweat loss just from doing one session. It was just so extreme. But it got to the stage where, you know, my body um, really adjusted to the stress of it. And, um, you know, I, I really, really was probably the best prepared athlete for Tokyo that year. Um, but it did it was a big investment and it was, you know, a year investment. It wasn't, you know, just going over a couple of months and training in a camp. It, you know, I actually kind of moved lock, stock and barrel over. We had Ailish then and we, we you know, we, we bought like a, a little house and stayed there pretty much all year round just to get the better weather and to, you know, to try and um, get stronger both physically and mentally. And it, and it, it worked for me, you know. Um, did a lot of road racing when I was out there, so it gave me the opportunity to get used to racing at a higher level, over 10K, um, you know. So, yeah it, yeah, it worked really well for me. Like, when you're committing that much, it really is 24-7, isn't it? It's like from the second you wake up in the morning. Even when you're not training, then you're obviously trying to get your body to recover and rest and all of that packaged together. Like there is not much time off during that period, is there? No. Well, I mean, as a, I mean, I never had a rest day as an athlete. Um, my rest day was just recovery runs. And um, even as a, a track 10K runner, I was running like 110 miles a week. So I was quite a high miles person all my career. And, um, you know, you're running twice a day, every day. And then, um, you know, I'd be doing gym work on top of that. So if you counted your gym work, it would probably be like three sessions in a day. 
Um, and, you know, I was a very early morning person. So, you know, I'd be up at five, going for my run, have breakfast. Um, you know, obviously I had Ailish at the time. Um, so, you know, you'd be feeding Ailish and whatever. And then when she went for a nap in the afternoon, I'd try and get a, an, an hour nap in the afternoon. Um, I'd do gym work in the afternoon. Uh, playing with her and then out again training about sort of between four and five and then you come back have your dinner have a little downtime with um Ailish again and then I was in bed for like nine o'clock nine thirty so the socially um it was just family and running it wasn't any other thing um you know if, if you had any downtime it was things like just going to the cinema because you couldn't really do anything that was like too um you know, tiring or anything that would take you away from just recovering from your next training session. So, um, so yeah, you're really focused. But I mean, you know, it was a um, a nice environment to be in. I enjoyed doing what I was doing. So it wasn't a, a bore. It wasn't a bind. I, I loved doing what I was doing at the time. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, it, it was just a commitment at the time for to try and be the best that I could be, and that's what it took for me to do it. Um, it's not the same for everybody else. Um, but for me, uh, I was very, very focused on, you know, just run, eat, run, sleep. <laughs> you know, that was it. Um, the word focus there is just screaming out of that whole conversation. How did you maintain your motivation through that? Like, or you said there about the love of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been running since I was 12 and I don't know why, um, you know, it's not that I, I love running. It's that running suits me. You know, it suits my mentality and my mindset. Um, I think I'd be quite a depressive person if I didn't run. Um, you know, I um, what running gives me, I can't explain into words exactly. You know, it's like someone going for a walk in the park or um, somebody going to yoga or whatever. It's actually quite a soothing thing for me, running. You know, if I go for a long run, I can solve all my problems in that run. Um, I'm quite an isolated person. I don't, I'm not a social runner. I don't like when I go for a run, I like on the time that I've got, you know, and um, I've learned a lot about myself and my body um, from running. But it's never, it's ne you know, it's, it's always, I'd say it's always come easy to me. I'm quite relaxed as a runner. I've never been really stressed as a runner. Um, and, you know, kind of the longer I go, the better I am. You know, it, it doesn't bore me going and running on a treadmill for a couple of hours or to go you know, to a park and run for a couple of hours, I actually enjoy it. So I think it's just my temperament. It suits, um, you know, and I, I, um, I've got a lot from it. You know, um, I was quite, you know, I wasn't, I was quite overweight as a child. So, you know, um, I came from a very, quite an unhealthy background where obviously because of money, um, you know, you were eating fried food all the time. So it wasn't the healthiest environment to be in. And so for me, running kind of created whole, um, new lifestyle for me because you know I became very interested in nutrition I became very interested in keeping healthy um, you know more aware of you know don't smoke don't drink you know all this sort of stuff as a youngster so you know it really really suited me and at the end of the day um, I'm quite a competitive person I'm quite driven and I think for me because I was so good when I was young it gave me something to really focus on because a lot of the children that were about when I was young kind of got into other things that weren't the best things to get into um, and for me it kept me right on the right track because I got so involved in you know I want to be better I want to be faster and working to be better than I am and so because it's a kind of sport where it is development and you do get that improvement and you push yourself to get that improvement it just kind of suits me. It's just more of a therapy then really and that's what sort of helped. Yeah I think um, you know a therapy and an escapism I would imagine um, both because um, 
and I'm quite a mindful person. And I think for me, um, just being able to sort of be in, like, you know, get in tune with your body and whatever. Like, I don't listen to music when I run. Um, you know, I, I actually am in tune with, you know, how I feel and, you know, what my heartbeat is and, you know, how far I'm running, the pace that I'm running. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in my head as I run. It's not, I'm just not out running, looking at trees and looking at the sunshine. You know, I think a lot when I'm running and I think it's just really, really good for me as a, as a, a person. You know, it just suits me. Yeah, no, I, I can really relate to that as well. The only difference is that, you know, I get a lot of release from running and I could run, if my body would let me, I would run 20 miles a day. You know, I feel that good after yeah. a good run session. My problem is <laughs> my body just burns out very, very quickly. How did you prevent yourself from burning out during that period? Um, I was I was really, um, even from a very early age, like I was, um, like my coach and that was quite educational. When I was like 12 and 13, he'd be giving me books on nutrition and stretching and endurance running and um so I learned a lot at a very young age as to how to prevent injuries and stuff. So, you know, I, I was always like really big on stretching and um you know you know, cooling down right, warming up right. Um, you know, and you know, I've, I've been very lucky like for the type of high miles that I did, you know, as a marathon runner, I was running 140 miles a week. You know, I got very little injuries for the amount of um, impact that I actually did, but I do put it down to you know being very very good in the gym. Um, you know, nutrition was good, um, hydration was good, uh, sleep patterns were good, um, and as I say, stretching, warm ups, cool downs, all of that. You know, I I was so into that long before it became a great idea to do it or not to do it. Um, and so I think you know I always kind of prevented. Um, a lot of the issues, and when when I um, when I actually was sort of at the top of my game, um, you know, I was always going to um, a, a kinesiotherapist for physio, like you know, for therapy twice a week and things. So I was getting really intense, um, very very deep massages and things like that to keep everything, you know, in the right way. And I, I worked with a guy called Gerard Hartman for a good sort of six years all through the top of my career he actually sort of stayed with us and things so you know I, I was, was kind of like really everything preventative which uh you know always wore good running shoes never let them wear down and you know so kind of kept up on the game on everything like that to try and prevent anything from happening it sounds like you left no stone unturned there at all anything that you thought would add value and you took a really good holistic approach to it yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you did you find then coming into the World Championships like how what was your confidence level there? Because there was some good com competition there. Um, I think athletics is an honest sport. Eh? You kind of know when you're on song and when you're not, and you can't you know you can't pull a veil over it. You know you've got the training done in behind you, so you you're riding on the crest of the wave because you know you know you're the best shape ever, or you know you've had issues and you've just got to deal with it. So um, for me, when I knew I was on song, I you know um, you know I, I'm I'm a very sort of upfront person, and I, I kind of knew what my capabilities were, and I would never sort of like help on about oh you know well maybe it will happen or maybe it wouldn't you know I was very realistic in what I was able to achieve so um you know I always kind of like played to exactly how my training predicted it would come and I think that you know I was very very fortunate for you know several years of my career I probably was the best 10k woman in the world 
and I had that confidence that, you know, no matter, you know, what I did or what I ran, I could beat people and, um, you know, and you get that confidence about you because you just know that you're on song and that, you know, you're running strong and what you've did in training, um, you know, and and then, at the end, uh, you know, at the end of that too, you kind of know when you fall off the cliff edge as well, you know, because you've got a very, very small window at the top of your game in athletics and, you know, it doesn't last forever. And as you get older and, you know, and, you know, because of the amount of workload that you've done, you know, you do kind of get that sort of, well, I'm, I'm falling off the cliff edge and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting little niggles and I'm not as healthy as what I used to be and I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I kind of felt that as I got older, I was able to do the same sort of sessions, but the recovery was slower. And that's when I knew that, you know, I, I was starting to sort of like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm off my game now. So when I got to that stage, it was just really trying to, um, finish strong and get the best out of what I could, you know, what I could do. But I knew that I would, I would be like, you know, podium and, you know, winning the races and things like that. But I would say for a good sort of, you know, I'd say a good four years top, I was on top of my game and felt very, very confident. What was your strategy then for attacking that race? Um, it's one moment in athletics that sort of stands out in people's minds. A friend of mine, Ali Shaw, I'm going to throw his name out there. <laughs> um just from that night and seeing you there. He's actually from Straban. I hope he's heard your accent before because he's going to be disappointed when he hears this <laughs> if he thinks you're, you're originally from Straban. Um, but he, he's gone on to run over 100 marathons and he has said to me in a podcast I'd done with him, you know, it was that night where Liz, Liz McColgan, like, you know, really inspired him when he was at school and it had that effect on him. Um, it's sort of done that to a nation as well, but... Your strategy going into that race, because you're somebody who likes to take the race on, aren't you? No, um, I think like, you know, my, my strategy was I got, uh, early on in my career, I got very, like, you know, I was never like um, the fastest finisher. You know, my strength's my strength as a runner. You know, I, I was a good, strong, one pace runner who could finish strong, but I couldn't pick up as quick as some others so you know I didn't see the point in me training as hard as what I did for to sit in and let somebody kick past me so I always had the mentality if somebody's going to beat me then they're going to have to run really hard to beat me and so that's that's the sort of strategy you know I always thought that you know you've got to go into a race and run what's best for you so if that meant that I had to lead it then that's what it meant so I, I didn't shy away from taking the lead you know because I would go in with the set pace that I wanted to run to get the best result for me and if that meant that you know someone's put the path me at the end then that's what it meant if it meant that I was 100 meters or 200 meters ahead of a person then that's what it meant I always tried to run what was best for me for the shape that I was in and it was really frustrating for me because when I started running obviously I was a longer distance runner but um you know when I first started you could only run 3k so I would have to go into 1500 knowing that you know I wasn't at the best of my game but needing to compete against girls that were specialising in 1500s just to try and get a race but lots of 5Ks and back in those days you didn't have an awful lot of the longer distances for the women um, so you know I, I used to sort of use I used to always accept defeat in a way of making me better because then I'd do a session or sometimes I used to do a session in the morning and go out and race and run 4-4 or 4-5 for a 1500 in the afternoon I'd already did a session in the morning, so a lot of people didn't know that, you know, and so they always thought, well, this is just one pace, but, you know, I always had a major goal, which was to run well at championships, and that's what I tried to do. That's class. See, when you went ahead in the race, because um, you got quite a lead on the race, 
does that come into your mind in any way or form or you're just happy you're just running within yourself and being mindful of yourself no for that yeah for that specific race as i said i trained for two years for it so you know i was prepared to i was in sub 30 shape there um and i was prepared to do anything to allow that but all all that was in my head was I'm going to run a strong pace and I'm not going to let it slow. So I think there was only one point in the race where the Ethiopian um, Tulu tried to go ahead of me. I think it was about eight laps to go and she actually did try to slow it and I, and I led the goal way and I honestly thought, no, she's not getting to do it. And I went right back in the lead again. She was only in the lead for maybe, I don't even know how long. But um, I was very set in my own mind at the pace that I had to do to try and win it and I knew that it had to be a relentless pace you know I couldn't let up and so that's why I went from the gun you know there was no point in like you know trying to um, pick up mid-race or whatever you know I had to make it hard from the start so in my head I just had one plan and I was just going for it and you know luckily enough for me um, I, was, I was very very strong at the time and you know things played out to allow me to do really well so you know, um, it, it, it played into the way that I had prepared myself to, to run that day. Because it, it was quite a windy evening as well around the track, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. It was, it was just one of those, you know, it wasn't conducive to running fast times. It was just, a, it just made distance running really difficult. I think it was the first time ever they put water onto the track so that people could actually have sponges and <laughs> drink water while you run the 10K because it was just that extreme. But, you know, um, as I say, you know, I, I tried to prepare myself best as I could, and I think I think I was the I think I was the only European to actually finish that race. And I'm, 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 I think that you know a lot of people dropped out and things on that night. It was just really a really really tough night to run 10k. Yeah, I bet they all wish that you weren't on the track that day because you destroyed the field and you made everybody push <laughs> in those conditions. Yeah. Like on the last loop, I actually watched the video again last night, and the hair stood on the back of my neck watching it on YouTube um because i hadn't obviously had a reason to look at it since then and it just brought all that sort of flooding back but on the last 400 meters you actually come off the track yeah i was just like so focused there like it's kind of like you just go into a trance and i just didn't look where i was going and it was kind of like i was just like you know just so focused on getting rid that last lap i didn't even realize you know obviously too i was really tired there like although like you know you don't really look at but you know it was quite an exhausting run, eh? And um, I think I was just getting to the, the end of it. And, you know, I got a bit sort of like just, I don't know, lost my footing or whatever. Um, I, I wasn't even aware that I did it, to be honest. Um, I, I just didn't, I didn't even see that until like years later. Somebody said to me, oh, you know, you, you stepped in the trap. And I was like, really? Because like nobody was near me. So it, it wasn't like, you know, I, I think I was just... I was trying to pick up the pace and I kind of just think I just stumbled because, you know, like with it being a last lap, you always have that last lap kit. And I think I was just trying to, you know, pick it up and pick it up and pick it up. And I kind of just had a little stumble. But there was nothing, you know, I don't think there was anything. I can't even remember it, to be honest. You could tell the focus that was in your face. You came straight back on the track. And one thing mm. that really stood out to me was this hypnotic rhythm that you were in. Like, you know, you were mm -hmm. so focused and so well trained and how driven you were looking forward into that. It almost looked like it was effortless and you're looking at it going, please, please be in pain because <laughs> you made it look so effortless. <laughs> but when you crossed the finish yeah. line, you could see the pain in your face. Um, yeah. Do you think that's one of your strengths, being able to hold that in, you know, because it's... Well, I think 
I think that's what training does for you. That's why, like, you know, I, I sort of never listen to music or anything because I think you need to learn how to relax the thing. Like, even though you're pushing hard, you've got to learn to relax with it because if you get all tense and everything, you know, you, you don't run fast. So, you know, to, to run well, you've got to be relaxed and you've got to have efficiency and you've got to be economical. And, you know, you learn that through training. So, um, you know, for very, very many years or very, very many sessions, I learned a lot as to how to try to create that in my running. Um, you know, I, I tried to be as more as as best efficient as I could. And, um, you know, and that was just through practice, practice, practice and relaxing. Even though you're really pushing it, you know, still trying to keep a rhythm and still kind of trying to keep to your heartbeat and keeping everything, you know, moving, you know, well. And, um, you know, that and I kind of, that, I think over the years, you, you sort of learn how to do that within your, your own body. I wrote down here actually what the commentator said on that YouTube clip and watching the race as he got more and more excited in the home straight. And he said, like, that is the greatest run in the history of British distance running, men or women, any race, anywhere. She absolutely destroyed the field. Um, and you were buzzing after that. I actually watched the interview then as well. You are buzzing. That. You're, you yeah. remember the Dundee Hawk Hill Harriers then? What what was that like? For you? And that's my club. I mean, um, Ailish is a member of that. Um, my son, Kieran's a member of it. Um, you know, it's my local club. Um you know, I, when I when I was running there, it was my coach who you know was the president of the club and kept the club going. And it's it's just one of those typical um, small sort of you know town clubs that you know if if it wasn't there, there wouldn't be any athletics. And when I was there, it was a lot of parents that actually um, you know. Uh, sort of were the coaches because Johnny was there and whatever. But, um, you know, I've been, you know, a lifelong member all my days and um, I started coaching there. Um, you know, Ailis ran there when she was a kid. Um, so, yeah, so really strong ties to, you know, that's where my roots were. That's that's where it all started and um, had great support from my club as well. And we actually had a lot of really good runners that have come from my club. Um, we've had a really, really strong background in Scottish athletics that have come from Dundee Hawk Harriers. So um, it's great, got a great tradition and, you know, it's still very strong. I'm sure you've inspired plenty of people in the club. Yeah, I mean, our, our club records are very tough. Like uh, Laura Moore's a member of my club now. So, you know, women's records are 55. <laughs> so it's tough. And uh, Ailish has, you know, Ailish has got like the 5K now and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's amazing records that the club's got. Um, but uh, it's, as I say, strong tradition in in running. Um, and, you know, long before I came along, there was girls and, and me men and women that were really good um, role models to, to, you know, really uh, aspire to be and stuff. So, yeah, it's a great, it's a great um, community club. They do great, you know, even now they're so strong coaching the kids and that. It's just, you know, it's fantastic that they've been as strong as what they are and they're bigger and better now as well. So, you know, it's, it's great that, they, that um, I was able to have the opportunity to be in a club like that. So, yeah, it's great. 1991 then so it was a phenomenal year you just talked about Ailish being born that year as well and what really surprised me was you going over to New York marathon then and actually winning it so going from the 10,000 yeah. meters to winning the marathon you said there you were doing phenomenal amount of miles like 110 140 miles is that what mm -hmm. sort of set you up for that or was that planned was it targeted 
Um, you know, no, the, to move up to the marathon then wasn't targeted because um, what happened was I just won the title and uh, the director of um, New York Marathon, Fred Lebeau, um, had had a press conference with uh, Lisa Ondoniki and uh, Rosa Mota. And one of the questions that was asked was, as young Scottish girl just won the 10,000 metres at the World Championships, um, do you ever think she'll be good at the marathon? And they both said no. And Fred says, well, what do you think about that? And I says, well, I can't believe that, you know, somebody would just say, oh, you you know, I'd been doing it over a month because I'm a track runner. And um, he said to me, oh, do you want to come and prove them wrong? <laughs> and it was like, it was only like six weeks away or something, like six or seven weeks away. And I just says, I oh, OK then, because I was at the end of my season anyway. So rather, rather than take a break, I decided to extend it for six weeks, seven weeks, and then run New York Marathon. So I actually ran it not the best prepared. Um, but I was in really, really, really good shape. You know, I just won the world title. Um, so for sort of six weeks, I did a couple of long runs, never ran over 18 miles, just did uh, two runs and then extended some of my sessions and I uh, went out and won it. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good first marathon. <laughs> I just went out and won it. Yeah, but it kind of <laughs> yeah, just threw me into it too early, though, like because I, I hadn't really anticipated moving up to the marathon. And then because I'd won it, then hopefully everybody just assumed, oh, well, you know, you'll you'll do London and you'll do that. And so I kind of then went into the marathon um, probably a couple of years earlier than I would have anticipated. Um, but, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. I ended up, you know, going and moving up to the marathon and then didn't really run much track after that. Yeah, well, it was a good job you did. Like, I think it was a, was it a three minute off the record debut? Yeah, it was the fastest. It was the world record for the fast for the first time ever marathon or at the time, um, and then I went on. That is yeah, crazy. I went on had the world record for the half marathon and that the next year and stuff like that. So you know, I kind of progressed quite quickly onto it. It was quite good. Yeah, you, you said your longest run there was around eighteen miles. Like, how were you feeling when you done that? Like, would you did you feel then you could go on for another yeah, eight miles? Yeah, I've never I've never actually had a, an experience where I've hit the wall. I think genetically, I'm just kind of felt really well for running. I don't know why. Um, you know, I, I remember I, I I used to work with Greta Vites and I, used, I you know, I actually said to Greta, like, you know, I've never hit this wall. And she was like, okay, like, we'll go and try and do it. And we were in Gainesville and, and we were on a five-mile loop. And she says, right, you know, we'll just do this loop and then, you know, you'll get to about 20 mile or something at a set pace and, you know, your legs should start getting tired. And so I did five loops and I got to 25 mile and nothing was happening. And I was sitting there like, I'm not going to, I said, I'll do one more loop and I'm not going anymore. So I ended up running 30 miles that day and it didn't happen. And she was like, oh, I don't know. She goes, right. And she says, okay, like if, uh, if it didn't happen there, she goes, like, we'll go for a, a run tonight. So I ran 30 miles in the morning. And when I went up at night, she says, like, let's go for a, 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 at night. When I went out for another run at night, I felt the heaviness in my legs, but it wasn't like hitting the wall. It was just the tiredness in my legs. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I think I think that is crazy. Yeah, I think quite genetically, I'm, I'm I don't know. I've not really experienced what a lot of people feel when they deplete. You know, I, and I don't know why that is. I don't know. Um, yeah. Even now, when I run, um, I find that you know I don't do an awful lot of running now. Um, kind of just run to keep in shape, but. You know, out the, like I, I got asked to go and do the eternal run and to just to sort of try new shoes on for ASICs. And it's the first time, you know, I've been involved, uh, getting asked to do anything for ages. And I went out and, um, yeah, I, I, haven't, I hadn't run over five miles and I had broken my toe 
two weeks prior to it. Even ran for two weeks. And, you know, I went and ran for over four hours in the salt flats and it didn't bother me. And it was like, how does this work? It, it may not be fair to the world to put this podcast out, you know, <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> you could have been one of the world's best ultra runners. You could be the world's best 5,000 no. meters marathon. Um, you seem to have this real range. No, I think I think for me, you know, the distance, you know, I, I think um, genetically I'm quite suited to running longer distances you know and i think there's few women that are like that you know and men like you know they just seem to you know like um never tire and you know once you get into that pace you're just very quite economical when you you know you can run for quite a bit and i think you know i think i'm just kind of you know more more into you know that type of running than than the track running to be honest because for the track running i had to work really really hard for that that was hard work that wasn't like natural that was like you know a lot of really really blood sweat and tears for that but um you know as far as like longer slow runs go i mean they, they, they've always been quite comfortable and and enjoyable and not so much hard work you know yeah you sort of remind me of the book born to run slightly you know when you have these tribes that still live like we used to hundreds of years ago and they're running every day and they're hunting gathering their bodies are just adapted and, you know, they can just run all day long, like for 400 miles. I think, you know, because you'd done so much work to mm. begin with, you know, your body was just adapted so well know. to that. You could play your... Yeah, I don't know, like, even anything. as a child, though, like, I mean, the reason I got discovered was um, when I went to the Hockle Harriers, as a 12-year-old, I was a sprinter, not a very good one. And um, the club was doing, like, a sponsored relay race for to raise funds for the club. And we were doing, like, you know, 400-metre loops, and obviously I was with the sprint group and obviously the sprinters couldn't really run that far. So like, you know, we were doing our, our, our loops and, um, you know, I, I was the only one that was able to continue running, continue running, continue running. And, you know, they'd be like, oh, could somebody else do another lap? And I'd be like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. And they'd be like, okay, let's you go, you go. And then after we did after we did the actual, um, you know, charity thing, um, you know, the coach come up to me and says, you know what, you're in the wrong group, you're an endurance runner. So I think quite naturally... Uh, you know, I've had this tendency to be able to run for a long period of time. I mean, I even remember being about 12 year old and because I couldn't afford my bus fare, um, I wanted to do a race and I, I, I've got I've got it in a diary. Like I, I ran to the race start and it was like 12 miles to get to the race start. I ran, I ran the race and ran back. So it's that sort of thing as a kid, like, you know. Just I pure think, talent and hard work coming together. Yeah, some people just are more, you know, prone to endurance running, you know, yeah. And that's what I was. This year you went back to New York then to help pace a friend. How different was that? Yeah, I, like I, I had a, a lady in uh, Doha that was wanting to do the marathon and she had already signed up with uh, another person to run. But obviously that person hadn't done any training and uh, sort of very quickly says, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And so she was kind of left and she says, oh, run it with me. So I decided to run it kind of like last minute. Um, and she, she really only had eight weeks training for it and um, never raced before in her life and so I thought yeah I'm just going to go and try and get around it so it was really great experience to um, experience it with her and obviously I was I was um, really proud to be part of her journey because it was such a massive thing for her to do and you know never to come from a, a non-running background and to be able to um, you know, it's very difficult to train for the marathon in Doha because it's like so hot and humid. So to get your long runs in, and that's really difficult. And so, um, you know, the longest she had ever got in was three and a half hours. And so she went out and she ran 
Um, I, I prior to the race, I thought, oh, we should run about five hours. She actually ran 4.24. So it was really, really good that, you know, and to be part of that with her and to, to enjoy it from that angle as well and not from the elite angle. Um, I just really, really enjoyed the whole experience. And I was just like, super proud part of her journey and to see what we right to me running is is just really important i think that it changes your life and for me to introduce her to running and for her to have that love of running like what i have was like more important than anything so um yeah it was just a great experience to be there with her and for her to you know achieve it and run the whole way and um yeah it was great enjoyed it immensely that that must be yeah, it must be a really good buzz for you. You could take it in a bit more than the yeah, first thing yeah, that you want. You've seen it from another angle, eh? And I think that it's you know, to run twenty six miles for anybody is such a great achievement. And um, if it's something that's so far out your comfort zone, you know, actually apply yourself and um, you know, put yourself in that position to you know commit to training even when you feel you don't want to do it and, you know, you've got your work and whatever and, you know, you put that commitment in. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's an accomplishment, isn't it? So, and I think that's what running's, running's great for, you know, probably the only sport where, you know, you can get from all walks of life um, who have all got the same goal and you actually run with the elite on the same day. And it doesn't matter whether you run it in, you know, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, you all experience the same euphoria of stepping over that finish line and you know and it means something different to everybody but it's such an accomplishment when you do it so you know i i just think it's uh one of the best sports to to be involved in and and you know you know when you're involved with it from i mean that's the first time i got to experience it with a, a friend and yeah it was fantastic loved it like you were you were two hours 27 um minutes on your first marathon four hours was it 24 you said there and that's a long time on your feet, isn't it? You have to feel for us middle of the pack runners. <laughs> yeah, but it goes in so quickly. It's yeah. an extra two hours. Yeah, I know, but you know, as I say, <laughs> it doesn't matter what time it is. Eh? It's the same. You know, everybody's putting one foot in front of the other, and it's the same motion that you're going through, and it's the same emotions that you feel. It's a roller coaster ride, whether you, you know you're at the front of the pack or the back of the pack. You know, sometimes you feel great and you're high five and everybody. Next time you're crying and what and stop. You know, that's <laughs> the way the marathon goes. And it doesn't matter what end you're at, you know, it's, it, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to rally everything that you can, mind and be, to get yourself over that line at the end. And then when you do it, it's like, it's the shortest um, mind span of how painful it was because it's suddenly euphoria and it's the greatest thing you've ever done and you can't wait to do it again. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, where else do you get that? You know, you don't get it in any other sport. So I, I think it's fantastic, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's no real logic to it at all. 1991 then, phenomenal year. Um you were actually awarded the BBC Sports Personality of the Year for actually your World Championships. That was quite a unique year, you know, because I, I actually remember that because I was an angler and the Anglin Times had put a campaign out to try and get a, a fisherman. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. And um, Bob Nudd, I think. Oh, yeah, I remember Yeah. <laughs> he was actually, Bob Nudd is a phenomenal course angler for England. And Anglin Times put out and they had like over 100,000 votes um, but he was disqualified for the way the Anglican Times went about it. Um, but we also had, I don't know if you know this or not, like, but Will Carling was second for, because England had got into the rugby, they'd got into the final World Cup against Australia, I think. And um, I talked about Spurs earlier on, and they got to the FA Cup final. Gary Lineker, he came third. So it was really good to see the athletics beating the football, beating the rugby, and beating the Anglican, like, 
yeah. I honestly um, was shocked when I won it. I honestly didn't think that I would, yeah, I had any chance of winning it at all. Um, that's why I didn't have anything prepared. Um, you know, I went down very last minute because I wasn't going to go. Um, I just thought, oh, you know, I, I've got training in the morning, there's no point in going, I've got, got a chance of being top three. Uh, and honestly, you did not know that you were going to win it, that's for sure. Um, I had no clue whatsoever. And then when I won, I was just like, oh, I, I hadn't anything prepared. So I was shocked, but very, very honoured. Um, you know, it, it was a great achievement for me. Um, it showed that, you know, you had a great following in the athletics. You know, it'd be great. You know, I think that we've lost a lot of people to the sport now. Um, because of just the situation that we're in with, you know, the governing body and the, you know, the the, the drug situation and things, um, we're losing a lot of fans. But I thought, you know, athletics was really right up there. You know, we had a, a, a really, we had a world class athletes, and um, you know, for to get an award like that there, um, with all the other great sports, um, it was a massive achievement. But yeah, totally, totally shocked. I can't believe it. I think I was the only person that ever that's ever not went to the art party because had to train the next day. <laughs> so what age? I were you? got my trophy and went to bed. <laughs> what age were you then? Ninety one. So age? Um, 21, 20, 20, something like that. I think you're showing me up. Yeah, you're showing like me up. I was. I. Yeah, but I but I was I was still in full training eh? because like you know obviously just got the medal I got the trophy and went to bed. So there you go. <laughs> you talked you talked earlier on about the Commonwealth Games. How different was the World Championships to the comp the nineteen uh, sorry yeah nineteen eighty six um, Commonwealth Games because it was um, in Edinburgh wasn't it? Yeah, I mean everybody says Commonwealth Games should be more like a junior development type championship, but for, but for me it was like. It was a great experience, you know. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, I went into it and I was a younger athlete and I went and won it and that. But for me, like, it was much more enjoyable than the World Championships because I had people to share my medal with. When I was in Tokyo, I was kind of like on my own. I, you know, I was on the rostrum and whatever. But, you know, there, you know, you were kind of, you felt quite lonely there. And, and you know, when you have success, the, 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 the best side of success is sharing it with others have helped you and you know supported you and things and that and that's when you know you get like the true reflection of just how you know great the the win was but uh, like in Scotland like I remember the 86 Commonwealth Games like I was running the last lap and like everybody in the stadium was shouting my name my dad was there was there it was like you know a great euphoria um lots of Scottish people there um, so it was really, really good. And when I went to Tokyo, I remember sort of like being a, oh, I, was, I felt like kind of just dead lonely on the rostrum on my own. It was like, oh, yeah, there's nobody here to actually, you know, give you that buzz that you wanted. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I, I liked the Commonwealth Games and I, I went and won again in 1990. And, you know, they were always, they were always great games to be part of. Great, like, you know, I, I would say like more relaxed games than the Olympics in the world's. Um, more team spirited, you know. I felt more part of the team at Commonwealth Games than I did at the Olympics. Probably did more with my team members than I did at the Olympics. So yeah, it's a bit different, you know. Smaller, more, um, just more sort of family orientated and friendly and things like that. Whereas at the Olympics, it kind of always felt it was more like individual. But you'd never won anything like that at that level going into Edinburgh was a lot of pressure going into Edinburgh being like a home Edinburgh I was kind of an underdog and I'd just come back won the uh, 
UK 10K Championships and qualify um, for the Commonwealth Games. So I was kind of like, you know, people were sort of like not really knowing who I was, but kind of saying, well, she could be in a chance of a medal. But I kind of knew I was in really good shape. So it was like, um, it was quite difficult because it kind of thrust me into the limelight without any of the background or the training to actually be able to cope with that. Like, for instance, like, you know, I suddenly won the Commonwealth Games and I go for a run the next day and like all the taxi drivers were tooting their horn and saying, you know, wait a go, Liz. And I'm like, how do they know my name? You know, and it was like, you know, I can't believe they know my name and I'm out running. And then when I went home, like there was all the press and everything at the gate of the house. And I'm like, why are they here? You know, I, I just didn't assume, you know, it would be like that. And then I got like all these like people wanting me to like agents wanting to represent me. And, you know, I actually got told that um, I would have to go and uh, go to elocution lessons because nobody wants to sponsor me because I have such a strong Scottish accent. And, you know, and I, and I just couldn't believe the things that was happening. And, you know, I'd get put on, um, uh, you know, BBC sports programmes and, you know, mics and cameras in my, my face. And I didn't know how to respond to them. So it'd be like, you know, how's your training? I'd be like, oh, it's good. How are you doing? Good. I, you know, everything was like one word answers because you didn't know, you know, there was no official training or anything. It was really, really difficult because I was quite a shy kid and it was quite difficult to sort of get myself out of being, you know, I, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm wanting to be heard and people are sort of, you know, going to know who I am, I need to be confident in it. And so I had to sort of teach myself how to be a little bit better spoken and confident in what I was saying and so it was quite a difficult transition to go from like nobody to sort of everybody want a piece of you and then everybody always gave you advice you know you were suddenly you know everybody wanted to tell you how to train and you know how to race and what to do and so and, you know so it went from being like quite on my own in solitude to like oh I've got this advice from everybody now so it was quite difficult to deal with at the time. Yeah it sounded very overwhelming to be honest. It was, yeah, definitely. And I just wasn't prepared for it because, you know, obviously I, I just hadn't been in that kind of circle of or level of sport, you know. So you talked about 1990 then going to Auckland then and you got gold again. Yeah. You're the only Scots runner that ever actually held on to their title. Yeah. Um, how good did that feel? Um, yeah, it, it, it's good. Like, you know, um. I think if you go on individual sort of medals in Scotland, I'm probably right up there. You know, obviously there's some um, people that have got a lot more medals because of relays, um, but obviously I didn't get the opportunity to do relays, so it's quite different when it's individual medals. They're a lot more harder to get, come by. But um, I think, like, um, you know, I in Scotland we've had a great reputation for running. Like, you know, Yvonne Murray was a fantastic runner. Tom McC was a great runner um, with Graham Williamson you know I can go on and on and on and on you know we've had the um, guys from like Ian Stewart you know guys well before me um, fairly smart you know can go on and on and on and name all these guys that have won medals at Commonwealth Games and whatever but um, you know we've had a great history so you know um, you know I, I think that it, I've been very fortunate to be part of that and, um, you know, and, and it's great now, even as part of the history, we've still got a future because, like, we've got people like Laura Moore and we've got Ailish and we've got Jake Whiteman and we've got Steph Twelve and we've got all these other youngsters that are, you know, doing amazing things as well. So, um, you know, so it's just a great tradition. And, you know, I, I'm just honoured to have been, you know, a small part of that. 
Yeah, it is, it is exciting times, like coming into the world of athletics at the minute. And I suppose there's that much more social media and, and publicity as well. So people are, are getting a lot more exposure to what's going on rather than these big, huge, epic moments coming on TV every now and then. Um, 92, you went into Tokyo. You won the women's marathon as well. I sort of relate to you, relate a little bit to what you said that I did the Tokyo marathon as well in 2015. I remember crossing the line and getting my medal. Obviously, it wasn't a winning medal, yeah, but yeah. it was still a medal. Everybody's a winner when you cross the line in the marathon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did. Re- I do relate. I was on out of a friend with me there, but there's no family or anything like that. And you're like, oh, right. Is that <laughs> <Is> that it? <laughs> and it was a, there, was, there was a long walk back to the bus. Um, but I'm sitting, over the last two years now, I've had a small tear in my plantar plate. Um and I, I'm getting done what I can do, but I'm, I haven't been in form over the last two two years because of this injury that I've got. I find it, uh, life in general becomes a lot more difficult um, when you're injured. You you had a pretty hard injury after that period, didn't you? I had um, an operation to my knee, and the reason that I got injured wasn't through running, well, it was through running, but not through running. Um, because of the amount of miles that I did, I started getting like a, a, a troublesome disc in my back. So I was advised to put, uh, back in the day, I was advised to put an orthotic in my shoe, but I only won. So when I went for a run, I tore my medial reclamum right on a run because I only had one insole in a shoe. So obviously the imbalance. Like one, one orthotic? One orthotic. One orthotic yes, they gave you. Yes, At the time, like... It, Half price, yeah, I hope. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, you get advice from people when you sort of think, yeah, okay, but obviously it was wrong advice. But um, so, yeah, so um, I ended up in my... Uh, uh, medial right in the knee and um, I had an operation and the operation I got an infection and then I had to get another operation and so I was left with a knee that I couldn't bend in straight and um, went to you know the best physios and whatever that were recommended and they pretty much just said can't do nothing with it you know that's your knee that's you know the end of career you're not run again so I was left with a knee that I couldn't bend in straight so my logic behind it was well if it's muscular or whatever the heat would help so I took myself off to Florida again and it was just by chance I was walking down I don't know if you remember Marcus O'Sullivan the Mm -hmm. mile record holder from Ireland anyway I was walking down the down the street and I heard like I heard the guy shout oh Liz whatever and looked over and it was Marcus and he says oh what are you doing here and I explained the situation he says oh I've got the guy for you so he introduced me to Jer Hartman, who was a guy that actually, you know, um, he, he worked for like over a year on my my knee. Um, I was working, he was working six hours a day, trying, you know, it was a lot of nerve damage and whatever, but he got me back running. And so like, uh, I was out for nearly two years, um, went back and ran London. And um, so then I got back into it. So I was very, very fortunate to meet the right person and, um, you know, got back and uh, got back into my running and, and had another couple of years at um, the marathon. Yeah, no, I need somebody like that at the minute as well because it can be really frustrating. I know a couple of weeks ago I was like, geez, I just need somebody to sit me down and tell me exactly what to do so I can follow that routine every day to get me back. But finding the right person is critical in that situation, isn't it? What what alternative sort of... Because when you came back to London, you are actually... I think you were fifth. Yeah. Um, That's because I couldn't... Because, like how were you able to maintain Yeah, because um, when I... 
this is the the because of the knee I couldn't do any speed work at all. So all I could do was long slow runs. So that's why I was running 140 miles a week. And I'd say I had my worst my worst marathon off of doing too many long slow miles than doing the quality stuff that I used to do. Because I kind of went into a marathon pace and I always kind of kept in touch with my 10k pace whereas when I hurt my knee I couldn't do that I couldn't get on a track couldn't run around the bend so you know it was really restricted to long straight roads and um so yeah so you know it, yeah I was just happy to get back you know I, I wasn't in the best shape I did lots and lots of meals and I came fifth but then I came back strong after that because it just got better and better and better and then I was able to get back into my sort of the faster work that makes me run well um and made me a better marathon runner and um you know and then i came back and i, I won london and finished second twice and third once something like that yeah, yeah like oh so, yeah in 1996 after all of that like you came back and you won london like that must have been very emotional to cross the finish line to have come all the way back yeah. after what you've been yeah, through yeah it, it was and again you know like um with it being in london as well you know you had your team there so it was quite an emotional day to actually win it and um, you know like um jer was there that day and you know my mum was dying and all that so it was really really good um but it was um it was quite uh an effort to get back and so um that was a really sweet moment when i won that yeah but even that in itself gives a lot of hope to people i'm sitting listening to it now it's <laughs> all so been out for two yeah. years um i don't know if i'll i don't know if i'll win london like but i might get back to where i was at yeah. you know and it really is you can find yourself on, I don't want to say the pity step, but sometimes I find myself, you're almost waiting for the injury to, to heal up and then you have a target coming up. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're back in the game. Yeah. You think to yourself, shit, I really should have been a bit more focused yeah. <laughs> six months ago. Yeah, the, the one thing that I would say, though, is although I was injured night for two years, I always did a lot of stuff to maintain my fitness. Like um, I was pool running, um, I was doing lots of stuff in the you know the gym that things that allowed me to keep fit. So I never, although I was injured, I never ever stopped. So I always had the belief that I would make it back. It was just about me finding the way to make it back, and you know, and that's I never gave up, and that that was the big difference for me. I knew in my within my heart that I would make it back. I just had to find the way to get back, um, and you know, I really really did like you know focus on a lot of things that would help me in the long run you know like when I did get back running you know I wanted my you know my quads to be strong my glutes to be strong so I just worked on a lot of different stuff fair enough I couldn't run but I, I could pool run I was able to go on an elliptical you know I, I did lots of different things that's cool just and that is a key thing isn't it when you're injured just focus on what you can yeah, do yeah you've got to keep focusing never give up you know never lose the the heart that you're going to get back but you know you, you've got to sometimes accept the fact that it's you know it's going to take a bit of time but you've just got to find the solution I, I honestly believe that you know there's always something or someone out there that will be able to help you and I mean I've been told in my career about three times that I'll never run again I mean even after my you know I, I am retired because I have arthritis in my feet and you know it's genetic it's not through running and um, my sister has the same thing and she's never ran um but you know again it was an operation that I had to get and it didn't go well because I had ulcer and I I'd ignored it for so long that I'd ulcerated the bone my big toe bone and um, I had 13 operations five skin grafts to my feet and I was told I'd never run again but I'm still able to run I'm not a pretty runner anymore like you know I I do kind of like run my you know I don't plant right and 
you know, I, I, I just kind of shuffle along, but, you know, it's okay for me to allow me to do it, but I, I'm still able to do it, even though some people have said you'll never, ever do it again, you know? So you find a way. Jeez, that is class. Yeah, you're, you're a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> 1997 was unique in London because um, you came second in the race. Yeah. But you gave your medal to somebody in the crowd. Yeah. When you finished, did that ever come back? Did you ever find out who, who got that medal? Did you ever see anything in years after No, that? it was just the fact that, um, I, can't, I can't remember exactly, but it was like, it was a, it was a little, it was a, uh, it was a little kid, wasn't it? And like, God, I can't even remember the exact story of him, but I was kind of like, I just thought it was the right thing to do. I thought like, you know, they'll appreciate it more than me. And I just, so yes, yeah, so I gave it to them. But no, I never heard any more about it, so... Yeah, they didn't go on to be an Olympic gold medalist or anything no, like no, that. No, I never heard it. No, no, I didn't actually. Like, but it's just one of those moments in time where you know you just do the right thing, and it was you know it was a child, and the you know and yeah, it was just to motivate them and inspire them, and yeah. Yeah, quite a few people who know that you're coming onto the podcast. They've asked me to ask you about Ailish and how well she's been doing. Like she's really sort of hit the scene well. See, I have a 12-year-old um, son, a 13-year-old daughter as well. You know, there isn't much, I would say, some people might scorn me for saying this, but in Northern Ireland, you know, when I, like when I go to the sports days, um, school sports days, and you see some of the kids running, they are phenomenal, you know, and there's a couple of like real standout talents there, but there's nothing here to capture them. Um, Ailish obviously was very lucky to have, Lucky or unlucky, I don't know. Only she could answer that <laughs> to have somebody as good as you. Um, but was it an easy transition for her? Did she? No, I don't think it was easy. I mean, like, obviously, like Neil, like, I have known for like since Ailes was kid run, but whether she had the mindset to run. So, like you know, I all the kids got them into everything. Try golf, didn't stick at it. Try you know, try loads of different sports. Like Ailes was really good horse rider. She was great at hockey. Um, sort of midlands level and all that sort of stuff uh great summer uh great on the trumpet you know she was just pretty good at mo most things but um you know it wasn't me that actually got her into running um she went to school and the teacher obviously saw her name and said okay you could do cross country because you're a mccallgan and she just got into it by chance and i went and watched the run she finished second in the race and um she was like buzzing and she was like oh i love it i, I want to run i want to run so um you know, so she, um, I mean, I always did little play games with them. Like, you know, I used to get, have a 400 metre, like, path around the house and I used to time them on it when they were small and things. And she says, always ran, but not, like, competitively, um, just playing. And um, so she, she and a friend went along to the club and I said, well, if you stay it for a year, I'll start coaching you. But within six months, there was not really anybody there coaching. So I then took it on and ended up with, like, 20-odd kids coaching or whatever. But like so right from twelve. But when Niels was twelve, she had ran to twelve point eight. And it's I think it's still her PB. You know, um she's never really had the to do it. So and it was a one off. She never ran it again, like, you know, even when she was fourteen and fifteen. But I knew she could run. And so um my big thing was when I was young I used to see loads and loads of parents like pushing their kids too much. I'd see kids crying and parents saying, Get on the track and run again and I always swore I would do that to my children. So I mean, for me, and I, and I was always very clear with Ailish that, you know, I used to, I always said to her, like, you know, if you're 18 and you're still running, then I'll be happy. You know, up until 18, you know, it's a slow development process. And so she used to get frustrated with me. Like, when she was, like, 
12, 13, she'd be winning lots just because her natural ability, she was able to run. But then when she got to sort of 15 and 16, a lot of the other girls were doing a lot more than her. And she used to get so frustrated with me. She'd come and throw her shoes down and say, I should be going for an eight mile run because, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so's doing an eight mile run and I'm only running three miles. And, you know, they're beating me because they're doing more. And, and you know, I got this day and offering a lot of frustration from her. But, you know, and I just stuck to my guns with her. I'm like, no, it's wrong. You know, you don't need to be doing that at your age. You know, you've got to do it, develop. And, and, you know, now she looks back at it and she says, no, you were right. You know, 100% right. But at the time, it was very difficult for her to deal with it. And she also, you know, she also had a lot of, like, you know, go to races and people would be like, oh, that's Liz McCoggan's daughter. So, yeah, you know, try and beat her. And oh, if you beat her, that means, you know, like, oh, you beat a McCoggan. And she'd be like, why are people saying that? You know, I'm like, having to explain to her, like, you know, sort of do what I did. And she's like, but that doesn't mean, you know, so she dealt with all that, but she dealt with it well. You know, it never, ever put her like oh I'm not going to go and run because of it I think she just accepted it oh well fair enough you know and then um and but I think to be honest Ailish has created her own you know her own self-image you know Ailish is Ailish she's not Liz McCaulgan's daughter anymore you know she is Ailish McCaulgan and by rights you know she's got Scottish records um she's better than me so you know she's she's created her own persona she's she's no longer the daughter of um, you know, I'm the mum of, and that's the way it is now. And I'm a coach, you know, and that's that's the way it is now. And I mean, I I much more prefer it that way. You know, I'm very very proud of what she's done. And um, had a very very difficult road through. You know, she's had some horrendous injuries. Um, you know, career threatening injuries. Um, unbelievable. And um, you know, she's got five screws in her foot, and she's still able to run. You know, so she amazes me. She's a very very strong willed girl. Um, she's a very pleasant girl. I don't think that she's let running change her. She's, um, I think she's a great role model for young women, for young girls. Um, so I'm very, very proud of her in all aspects of what she does. But not only us, you know, I'm proud of all my kids. All my kids are great kids. Um, you know, I couldn't fault any of them, to be honest. Yeah, how many children have you got? I've got five. So three girls and two boys. How did you manage? Yeah, no, it's life, isn't it? How did you manage keeping balance? It's a busy life though with five kids. I've got two kids. Um and I find it hard to get thirty miles mm. a weekend. <laughs> yeah. What what's what's the relationship like then from because you mentioned there that you were coaching Ailish. Is that a totally separate relationship than mother and daughter? Um, I think it's changed over the years. Like um it was difficult for her because um Obviously, um, you know, she's, she's got a, a, a lot of respect for me as a runner. You know, she respects, you know, that, you know, she, as a coach, she respects my knowledge and how I coach and she really believes in the process. Um, you know, she, our relationships kind of went through, like, um, it was difficult because, like, we've always been quite close, but then we had, a, like, you know, we went through a really bad divorce, which was really difficult for Ailish and, you know, especially in athletics world, because her dad was a runner, I was a runner, and, you know, it was very um, vocal and very public. And I think that she went through a very tough transition for her. And um, to be honest, I think we've come out really stronger. And, um, you know, what I like about Ailes, she's a very intelligent girl, and she'll ask the questions. And as a coach, I should be, you know, I think every coach should be able to answer questions about their training and whatever. So we have a really good debate, you know, about, training and where it's going and as she's got older she's kind of got her her own self and what works and what doesn't and um you know it's a really really good partnership you know um 
I think that as a mother and daughter, we're really tight. Um, you know, that's never been an issue. Um, and I think it works. It, it doesn't work for some people. Um, Ailish is very upfront. I know sort of everything about her. Um, you know, um, if it, it wouldn't work if she wasn't honest and upfront and, you know, about how she's feeling and whatever, because, you know, I'm in Doha now and she's in Manchester. So we need to be very honest and upfront as to, you know, how she's feeling, what her heart rate's, you know. So I get so much information from Ailish daily that it just works. A lot of other people might not like being so close and working so tight together, but I kind of work with that with all my athletes, um, you know, because, you know, there's a distance between you. You, you kind of need to know, you know, how they're feeling when they get up in the morning, you know, as, you know, what's the weather like, what they've eaten, you know, and all that plays into the programme. And so we're just very, very close in what we do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely proud of what she does. Um, and, you know, she, her feedback is just second to none. You know, she, she um, just relates really well to what she's doing. And, um, yeah, it just works. There's a great photo last year. Um, I think it was at the Great South Run. You've seen her crossing the finish line. It's on the front of the magazine. Um, it's a race that you'd won a couple yeah, of times yeah, yourself. Yeah. That, like, that was unique, yeah. you know, to see that. And you can see sort of history. So that one picture was almost like history repeating itself. I know, and it's quite, it's quite um, an uncommon thing, you know. And, and I think that that's what, when Ayla started getting to that level, she found it quite surreal. I think the first thing that, that she kind of really hit her was when she went over to Tokyo and um, she was at the track in Tokyo. And she says, at the track, there's like a, a, a big placard and she says, and there's your name up there. And she took a picture of her underneath it and she says that that was like when it first really hit her like you know i'm actually doing you know at the same stadium as what my mum ran in and won in and then you know she went to hengelo and it was like gosh this is where like you know my mum ran her 10k and you know so there's a lot of like things that are just very surreal to her now and she's like oh you know it's, it's hard to believe that you know that's what you used to do and like i'm doing it now because like when she went to Portsmouth, the, the funny thing about that is she actually won the junior kids run there. And then there she is winning the senior, right. you know, senior women overall. And that's just unusual, isn't it? Like, so, um, so yeah, so it's yeah. kind of, you know, exciting. it's special memories, but, and it's, and it's a rare memory, but I think it's quite a cool memory. And I think it's, it's really, really good to think that, you know, I don't, I don't say it's just following my footsteps because she's surpassing that, but I think that it's just, amazing that you can have such a connection to your child in the same you know vein as what i i live my life she's living her life which is like amazing it's like you said there she's no longer the daughter of liz mcculgan no she's not you know, you're now the mum of Ailish mcculgan yes very exactly. much so like 100 yeah. percent. yeah um i could actually have you here and talk talk to you forever like um <laughs> appreciate you giving up your time today i've got one more question though okay. how have you been able to maintain such a drive and focus throughout your entire life like you've you're just so engaged in what you're doing yeah really easy i just love what i do i wish everybody could experience what running gives me because for one it's free and i think everybody can attain it to whatever level that is and i think that's the beauty of it i just love developing people and for people to get the same thrill that I get from it. And even now, like, you know, I'll still go out and run and it still gives me the same benefits as what I had 12 year old. So um, it's just one of those 
things in life that's, you know, um, it's what makes me tick. You're in Doha at the minute. So you're, you're, co- you're coaching at the minute. Yes, yes. I've been in Doha for six years. For six years? Yeah, we have Doha Athletic Club. So we've got like uh, a lot of really young kids that we're developing. And, and it's good because some of them go on from Doha and, you know, they go and run for the universities. And, um, you know, I've had a few people, um, you know, just that weren't really runners and they've just got really into it. And again, it's life changing, isn't it? Because it's about health and fitness and vitality and ability and agility and it's everything. Yeah. So it's not about being elite. It's about people, you know, whether it's losing weight or to get fit, healthy, whatever, active, socially get friends. It does everything. It ticks every box. So um, for me, it's just great. It's a great, I think it's a great sport to be in. It's just a pity that it's, it's so <laughs> not so great at a uh, higher level for our governed bodies. And, you know, we're going through a bit of a rocky patch there um, where the way things is. But, you know, as a sport at the grassroots levels, I think mm. it's a great sport to be in. There's a lot of complications around that. I Obviously, my son is his own person as well, and he'll do what he, he wants to do. Um, but I know how important. I was 35 when I started running. So I know how important the difference that made in my life and my confidence and the social aspect and all. And just all being able to release all that negative energy day in, day out as well. Um, so it's something you're trying to, you would like to guide your sort of children towards, knowing the strengths that you'll get from that. Do you find just with the, you talked about the coaching, the youth there, you're really just passing on the gift? No, I, I, I firmly believe that athletics should be taught by every school from the age of like five up, because I think it's, it's a basic skill level that is needed for all sports. It's not, it's not about being runners or throwers or jumpers it's about being fit for sport and I think that we lose a lot of how the skills on how to use our body properly by not being taught them properly and I think that we get a lot of kids sort of wary into oh I want to be a footballer or I want to be a netball player and, and their they're actual bodily structures not functionally strong and so you know I think that you know athletic skills and and this happens at all age whether you're you know 50 year old and starting running or you're a five-year-old and going into gymnastics or swimming you know there's certain skills that you should be able to do within your body's um function um you know that athletics teaches and i think that everybody should have some form of athletics in their daily activity whatever that is you know there's that you should be working with you know strengthening that and making it better and and, that, and that's kind of like what I tried to do, you know? Yeah, no, and I totally relate to that as well because you talk about athletic skills. Running has given me a lot of life skills that school sort of failed to give me. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, I had to do the likes of French, for example, um, but I wasn't asked mm-hmm. to do athletics. And, yeah. you know, the strength that I got since I've started running in my career, in my life, how much my family's benefited... Um, you're wondering why, yeah. Like, I'm Jay Duzon. I'm 12 years old for the rest of my life. That's all I really learned in French and GCSE. Um, but yeah. I could have come away. It's such a broken system. The schools are, you know, and and what yes. they're missing out, given these children. I think. Well, I always look back at um, experience in life, and me as a child was. I came from a very poor council estate and so at school we were seen as troublesome even though we weren't and kids that weren't worth bothering about. So I was I was the kid at the back of the class who never got 
they never volunteer for anything and nobody really engaged in. So if I hadn't been for what has told me, I had, um, I, you know, at the age of 16, I was working in a jute mill. So I kind of know where I would have been. So for me, it's in my life in so many avenues that um, you couldn't even begin to describe. So that's what running does and what athletics does. And I think that everybody can say, anybody that runs can say something about why it's good for you, whether it's mental health, physical health, whatever. There's a reason why people should be doing athletics and running. Yeah. Liz, that's a beautiful way to finish. I know how busy you are and I really, really appreciate you giving up your time. Um, I thank you thank you a lot for that. Okay, no problem. Thanks for asking anyway. Nice chat. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. This is a great episode. It was sport that helped to create a good life for Liz and her family, coming from humbling beginnings to winning the World Championships. Silver in the Olympics, crossing the line first on the biggest marathon stages in the world, New York, London, Tokyo. Her focus and determination, even when she had a career-threatening injury when most of us would have accepted the advice from professionals to throw in the towel, is astonishing. Really enjoyed this podcast. Hope you get some strength from it. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.